Welcome to Matt and Brett Love Comics. This is one of your hosts, Brett. Why and not? this is your other host, <laughs> Brett. I just like had a weird brain spasm in the middle of saying my name. Anyway, thank you guys for listening to the show. We're joined today by Justin Acklin. Hello, thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah. Ah, you were supposed to burst into song as well. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, you can buy all of our soundtracks. Through the, links, Through the links on our website. Sure kicks a little bit back to us. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming back to us. Your uh, last episode was met with uproarious acclaim. <laughs> yeah. Certainly. What are I the? Had, I had no doubts. Yeah. I heard that. Uh, I, I I heard that the book is now sold out at the internet level, meaning you can't even download it. It exceeded downloads. Yeah. <laughs> Blew everything up. Threaten his reality altering powers again. Yeah. yeah. That's what I do. Uh, but we but we are here today to read a book, book club episode, uh, and this is a book that Justin chose that neither of us had read. Uh, we both have not read it, and it has also been the most requested book yeah. by Matt and Brett Love Comics readers. I think so. And That's also, it. Well, Sorry, go ahead. a couple people, like, it's... I, it's been thrown in my face a lot. <laughs> it's been thrown in your face? I don't know. Then people just show up drunkenly what at Brett's apartment door at two in the morning and are like, hey... You Listen, you, you sit down and you read this. Uh, Michael Hartney heartily endorsed it on his episode uh, six months ago. Yes. Uh, what is the book, Justin? The book is Superman Secret Identity, written by Kurt Busiek and illustrated by Stuart Eminem. Yes. And it, it is a great-ass comic. Holy yeah, yeah. crap. Published by DC in 2004. Yeah, yeah which... Now, oh, man. Now, Brett, we started talking about this because you said on Twitter that you don't like Superman. Yes. And I'm not a huge Superman fan either, but immediately I said to you, and I say this a lot to a lot of people, have you read Superman's Secret Identity? Yeah. Because it's, no matter how you feel about Superman, it's just a fantastic comic book. Well, where did you, um, what is your uh, history with this story, this miniseries? It's an interesting story. I can't actually remember. (laughs) <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say, I can't say. <laughs> no, I mean... I was a government agent, and... <laughs> as you might remember from uh, my last appearance on this show, I used to work uh, at Wizard Entertainment as the editor of Toy Fair Magazine. And as you well know, Brett, at Wizard, you can read any damn comic you please, because yeah. every, everything is there. Yeah. So When Wizard's just... on your paycheck, you can read comics anytime! <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, I think I just picked it up at one point, and, you know... I was familiar with uh, with Kurt Busiek's work from, you know, his when he re- brought uh, the Avengers back in yeah. his return, and you know I had read Astro City here and there, but I read this and it just blew me away. Yeah, yeah, and also like this is uh, 2004, so this is right around the time when was Next Wave? Was Next Wave before 2004? No, Next Wave was oh, nine. It, oh, no, it was like it was 2007. 05, or 2006. It was during Civil War. Yeah. So it was, it was at, this was after Next Wave, but this so this was this was before Next Wave. Anyway, Stuart Eminent is the artist on this, and he is my favorite artist. Uh, and he's maybe my favorite artist because his art looks different every time. The guy's a chameleon in the best way possible. He changes his art style 
very distinctly to suit the story that he's telling. Yeah. And the style that he has here is so, I don't want to say so different from what he does now, but, you know, this is a story about the real world. This is a story about a, a, a teenager named Clark Kent who lives in a small town in Kansas in our reality. Yeah. And is... We should say, uh, just before we proceed, that we're about to spoil the shit out of the comic, right? Oh, Oh, of course. Spoilers. Spoilers spoilers up. This comic is almost ten years old, people. Yes. (laughs) Get on the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Say the guys that just read it for the first time. Yeah. We're now in the club. It's great in the club. We're projecting. (laughs) Yeah, we're projecting. Get in the club, people. Um, It's, uh, yeah, so it's about a teenage boy named Clark Kent who is... He was named Clark Kent kind of as a Midwestern-style joke that his parents were playing because their last name is Kent. Yes. They thought it'd just be cute to name him Clark. Yeah, and, you know, the he gets he gets Superman gifts for his birthday every year. He's, uh, he's very meek in school and gets pushed around a lot, and people make fun of him for his name. Yeah. And, uh, so, so it's a very real-world story, and... Eminem's art in this reflects that. It's a very, very photorealistic style that he uses. And and it's gorgeous. Oh, man, it's gorgeous. It is the most photorealistic style I've ever seen him use. Because you go from Next Wave, where it is just, like, uh, expert-level cartooning. Mm-hmm. Just, like, in actual, like, cartooning. Um, to his more superhero stuff, like what he's doing in All New X-Men right now, which is very, you know, superheroic. Yes. Uh, and even within the story itself, he shifts art styles whenever he uh, shows, you know, box art for a Superman toy, or there will be panels from Superman comics in the story that people are reading. Yeah. And, you know, he draws things, you know, reminiscent of Kurt Swan or even Bruce Tim. Yeah. It's... God. It is, uh, man, it's a really great book. I did not even like, I mean, shocking, I didn't really ever think that much about Kurt Busiek, because I've only ever read his Avengers run. You've never even read Marvels? Oh, I've read Marvels. Marvels is great. Yeah. So I'm just disproving what I just said. This is the best thing I've ever read Kurt Busiek write. I know he's a great writer. Yeah. Uh, And should we, uh, I I stopped you right before, Matt, but do you guys want to talk about the high concepts uh, beyond the, the real world setting? Yeah, yeah, so basically the idea is that, um, you know, Clark Clark is this mild-mannered kid, and he one day finds out that he has actually gained the powers of Superman. Yeah. So now he is essentially Superman uh, in the real world, and the story deals with Clark over the course of his lifetime dealing with the ramifications, very real-world ramifications of what would happen if this situation existed. And what I love about it is, I mean, come on, I I don't think I'm the only one here. As a comic book fan, (laughs) this, this has to have gone through your head before, right? Oh, yeah. What would happen if you woke up one day and you had the powers of your favorite superhero? Yeah. I took those stories and turned them into a 30-issue run of comics that I wrote and drew from 5th to 8th grade. So, yeah, I, re- I relate to this. Yeah. I don't know, Justin, if there was any uh, superhero that you could wake up one day and have their superpowers, who would it be? I used to sit in class in college and fantasize that uh, 
one of my rings would suddenly turn into a Green Lantern ring. Ah! <laughs> because that, that that's a really good power set. How know? many yeah. rings did you wear? <laughs> I, I don't know. Ten. You're the Mandarin. You should have been. Two. You should have been trying to be the Mandarin if you had ten rings. His power set is not as cool. No, I'm not even close. But yeah, so like you know, you there's there's definitely a sort of feeling of this this story treats that idea with a lot of respect and a lot of yeah. weight too. Because um, yeah. not it's not all easy. It's not all easy for him. Yeah, and w- what I love about this comic is that it's not a comic you could tell in a regular Superman comic. No. Like, the first chapter, you know, it's stuff you've seen before in terms of, you know, this teen and, you know, he's not sure how to deal with his newfound power. Should he, you know, show off and get rich and famous or should he remain hidden? You know, and that's a more standard story. But over the course of the issue, and and each issue kind of deals with a chapter in Clark's life. Yeah. There's about ten years in between each issue. At least, yeah. Yeah. And so the first issue is about him getting the powers in high school. The second issue is about him meeting his uh, future wife named Lois and falling in love. The third issue is about the birth of their children. And the fourth issue is him kind of in the in the twilight of his years and dealing with his his own mortality and his legacy. Yeah. And, you, and you know, you lay it out like that and you realize they can't tell that story in a Superman comic. No. no. You know, it's there. there's real change and real growth in these characters and it's, it, it, it captures life in a way that you very, very rarely see in a superhero comic. Yeah. Well, and even, like, the stakes of the things that he fights, like, uh, like halfway through issue one, after he's gotten his powers, and they've... Stuart Eminem does these amazing double-page spreads. Just breathtaking across um, the entire series. And they're just great. Like, the first one we have is the one of him flying across the, uh, the farm at night. And then the next one is him coming across a, like, small town that's flooded. Uh, which I think, like, in a normal Superman comic, like, flooded town, no big deal. He'll get that fixed, and, you know, who cares? Yeah, he'll just spin around, make a funnel that pulls it up off of the ground. Yeah, or, you know, reverse time. He's so powerful. That is the problem with Superman. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Easy, easy. (laughs) Brett's nostrils flared. Uh, But this comic, like, it... I read nothing but superhero comics, and this... So, like, I should know, oh, a flooded town, not that big of a deal, but Buzik and Eminem do such a great job of creating this world and getting you so pulled into it that by the time you get to, oh, flooded town, this is the real world, that's a big deal. Like, everything felt, uh, everything felt super important while not being, like, cosmic-level crazy war threats. Yeah, and, and that's so rare to see now, especially when everything has to be ramped up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, too. Uh, Brad and I were sort of talking about, uh, on I Am recently, we were discussing the new Arrow TV series on the CW. And we discussed the sort of trappings of a superhero television show that often happen, where the superhero will not fight uh, a villain on his level. They will always wind up fighting, like, a bunch of mobsters or, like, like, a crooked cop. Yeah. But the threats... That exist here, the real world threats that Clark faces in this story feel like feel like a big enough threat that that uh, they they warrant the danger that is that that is uh, placed upon them in yeah. the story itself. It's mostly a lot of like natural disasters, really, like a lot plus, of like yeah, plus the government, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's interesting too. He um, Busiek's such a 
he's such a versatile writer that Clark's voice doesn't change across the story, but you definitely it definitely feels like you're meeting him in different phases of his life. Like teenage Clark sounds like a teenager and reacts to the world like a teenager and uh, versus like in issue 3 when you know uh, adult Clark is dealing with the idea that he's going to be a father and yeah. flies off planet to have a, a a silent private panic attack yeah and this is also one of the most effective uses of first person narration I've seen in comics where you know a lot of times it's just kind of replaced thought bubbles and it's kind of like a less cheesy way of doing that but it, a lot of times in this book like the narration is Clark's journal that he's typing and keeping for himself. And it really feels like a, a journal that he's keeping. Like there are times where, you know, he'll kind of like come to a decision as he's writing, which is something, you know, that you, you're familiar with doing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the plot of the first issue uh, is after he stops that flood, like he saves people's lives in the flood. Um, he think he thought he was careful, but someone did take a photo of him. And so like the, you know, it's like a tiny thing, like Flying Boy is the headline. Um, and like certain people like kind of like say they saw something, but it's just like, you know, any type of... It's like of, the Chupacabra. Yeah, it's like the Ghost Or the Sucker. Wendigo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he then like he comes across a journalist who is... The journalist who's writing all this stuff. Yeah. Um, who basically like wants to make her name with this. She wants to get her Barbara Walters on. Yeah, and literally because the uh, the first issue takes place in and around the year 1990. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, but then, like, uh, later on, he, he, he actually, like, dons um, a Superman costume uh, and decides to wear that. Um, and the reason is? Uh, well, the reason is because <laughs> there is a Halloween party in town every year, and he feels that um, it's sort of, uh, hilariously ironic to him to do so, and he feels that that's the best place to make his big debut. Yeah. Like, he's going to, he's gonna go public. The, the reporter has convinced him to go public, and he wants to, and he's finally come to terms with the powers that he has, and the, the, the potential good that he could do with them. Yeah. While there, uh, gas main explodes, and... Another gorgeous two-page spread. Yeah, of... And I also like, I mean, looking at the two-page spread of the gas main exploding, um, I just noticed how Stuart Eminem drew Clark. Uh, I mean, it's like this... It's just his outline, but it's so teenagery. Like, he's not buff. No, he's not at all. just a kid. <laughs> yeah, even his posture... Yeah. ...is... Everyone's posture is completely caught off guard by what they're seeing. Yeah. Like his knees are buckled slightly, and and is he's kind of hunched. It, it's Faith is flying back. Yeah. yeah. So he like you know zooms around. He saves as many people as he can. Uh, and then as he's saving um, the girl that you know he was friends with, maybe, Wendy the reporter. Yeah. Oh no no no! no uh, I'm sorry, Cassie. Uh, Cassie. Yeah. yeah. He realizes he realizes when he sees how uh, you know anxious and on edge the reporter is that he realizes, oh, she totally did this. And it's at that moment that, like, at this point in the book, I was like, oh, is he, I mean, he's, they got him. Like, he's not wearing a mask. They got yeah. him. And he does a really genius thing that kind of then defines the rest of the book is he 
pretends to let the beam that he's holding uh, be too much for him. Yeah. So it looks like it was just like leaning a certain way, and he his his identity is safe. Yeah. So that so then throughout the rest of the book, he continues wearing the Superman costume as he goes out and saves people, which I, I thought is amazing. And the reason he does it is because if anyone does happen to see him, yeah. and then they tell people, "Oh, it was Superman who saved me." They're just going to think that they're crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really clever. I love and that. a great use of of the the you know the idea that Superman is a fictional character in this world. Yeah, that, yeah, it's really it's really cool. Um, I I have to say, uh, there's there's a lot of plot in this because there's, there's a every issue is over forty pages, like forty to fifty pages. Yeah, well, we're we're covering we're covering something like. 48 to 50 years of a man's life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it, and it's so much. Um, and so much happens. You get really invested in these characters. And I'll tell you, I was waiting, spoiler alerts, for someone to die. Yeah, me too. But I was waiting for, like, Lois to get cancer and die. Like, I don't know if Up scarred me. <laughs> but, like, as they were getting that last issue, I was just like, who's gonna die? Someone's dying. This ain't going to end happy. And it ends happily. It does. That doesn't mean I didn't get weepy while reading it. Oh, no, no exactly. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, now I would probably run second read through, probably get weepy because it is so happy. Yeah. Like, it's just such a, you know, honest portrayal. A weird. This story about a guy getting superpowers is a very honest portrayal of life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was really curious to see how this hit you guys because I'm reading it and you know, did read it originally as someone who, you know, fell in love and got married and has two daughters. You know, I, I've got a lot in common with Clark. Yeah. And I was wondering, you know, if you don't have all of these life experiences yet that, that he has had, like, does it still hit you? Does it still feel like a really, you know, fully formed life that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, like, the first issue really does, because I didn't have any friends in high school. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh Yeah. It definitely, because, I mean, there's something, uh, I don't know, I, I mean, I'm a romantic at heart, <laughs> guys, um, so part of me, like, wants this life. Yeah. Like, as, as, uh, crazy as his life is, as he does all these amazing things, there is still something so, like, quaint and relaxed and comforting about the life he does have. Like, we get these... Yeah. Uh, his wife, Lois, in, like, issue three... Like, in issue two, you find out, like, she's a interior designer, right? Yeah. And you find out in issue three, it's like, yeah, well, now she is a successful interior designer. She has, she has like, 60 employees and, like, three firms. Like, it's like... Yeah. You just find like, oh, that's good. Like, good for you. It's just, like, catching up with old friends. Yeah. I, yeah. So, well, you know, I mean, even if you don't have those... Some of these life experiences, you know, again, Busiek's such a, a good writer that he, you know... He taps into the the ethos there that uh, that is easily accessible, I think, by anyone that can experience emotion, you know? Yeah. And you really do... And I'll tell you what, too. There's the, the, the scope of how Eminem will draw him. Like, uh, right now we're looking at the two-page uh, the, the two spread, the two-page three-panel spread of Clark flying away after his first date with Lois. And just by the the scope um and and the way that it's written like you you feel the joy that Clark has 
And you can tell that he's in love immediately. And it's exciting. You're excited <laughs> for him. Yeah. Because, I mean, I love... I love Lois. I love the decision to make her Indian. Yeah. This is cool. Cool choice. She's a, she's a strong woman. She's a strong woman with, with drive. She's someone who, you know, wants to do something with her life and, and is you know, trying to, to, to move her life forward. Yeah. You know, she's, and that's, she's, she's not defined by Clark, which is a really interesting thing yeah. considering her husband is the only man in the world with superpowers as far as they know, but yeah. it's yeah. still, that still doesn't define her life. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, she's an incredibly successful woman on her own and has an entire life I mean, away from him. Let's be honest. She's probably the one that's like putting, like taking care of them financially. Come on. Like, she's, like, by oh, issue yeah. three, she's, like, a successful interior designer with, like, employees in a whole bunch of, like, offices in other cities. And he's, I mean, I don't know, he's publishing books. How well are those books doing? We don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, I had said to you guys a couple times, and not I didn't want to, you know, talk, influence your, your feelings about the book beforehand, but I had said to you guys a couple times that this is my favorite comic. Yeah. And... I wouldn't have said that, you know, a few years ago necessarily, but over the past couple of years, it really crystallized for me that, you know, as a, as a writer, like this comic is everything that I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and just that fact, like what parts, the fact that Gisek is really good at telling a story that involves, you know, like superpowered people hitting each other, but it also, tells you something about life or some recognizable emotion. Yeah. yeah. And that, and I think he's the master of that. And I think this is his crowning achievement of that. Yeah. Even and more so than Astro city. Yeah. I mean, Ast- Astro city is, is, is sweeping, you know what I mean? And, sure. But it, and it's, it, it certainly, it's got a lot of great moments, but for me, probably just because you, you're following Clark throughout all these major moments of his life. Like it, it I don't know it, this, it, it feels so complete to me. Yeah. And, and that's, if I, uh, I mean, one of the things that's interesting, I, I read this in the, I've got the collected edition here. I know you guys are reading it uh, digitally, right? Yeah, yeah. So in, in Busick's introduction to it, he's talking about, you know, that he originally really fell in love with the idea of Superboy Prime, which, you know, came out of the original crisis. And uh, do you mind if I, I quote to you for a moment? Oh, yeah. Go no, please it. do. I want to hear this. He said, here was a very human, very personal thing, something large audiences could easily identify with emotionally, played out as metaphor, as a sweeping, larger-than-life tale. Well, if superheroes could do that, couldn't they do it for other things, too? What about female adolescence, or maturity, old age? If Captain America could be America is wartime power writ large, could you build a superhero around other abstract ideas? The self-image of emerging African nations? The fall of communism? The punk movement? The jazz age? Whatever? It seemed to me the possibilities were endless. And that's just, like, fantastic. Because... Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so true. Yeah. I mean, you you see for... you know, I mean, the X-Men... I, I'm not going to impugn the X-Men, Brad, don't worry. I'm... The hairs on my neck. <laughs> He's cracking his knuckles right now. <laughs> but they've been, you know, this metaphor of, you know, the, the disaffected minority be that you know teenager or you know racial minority or or gay for 50 years now 
and that you, you kind of see comics going back to that metaphorical level over and over. Yeah. And to see Busiek saying, you know, we could take this framework and use it as a metaphor for anything in life. Like, you know, and he does it so well. Yeah. I mean, like, the, um, <clears throat> I think that's one of the things that's great about this book is, uh, I mean, skipping ahead to issue four, the majority of issue four is Clark and Lois dealing with, uh, trying to figure it out, figure out whether or not their two daughters also have superpowers, or two twin daughters. Yeah. And that whole conversation about, like, can we ask them? Like, we don't, like, you know, do we have the right to ask them? They should come to us. We don't want to force them to do it. Like, all of that is so... Never read that in a superhero comic before, ever. Um, because our superheroes are very rarely, or never, parents of adults. Like, yeah, comic companies don't let that happen. So you don't yeah. get to these kind of stories. And that's why that was so interesting to read. Right. Yeah. And, and that moment where, you know, he, the girls reveal himself reveal themselves to him and they get to fly together and they get to go and Ugh. reveal it. So yeah. you've never seen that before. No, it's, yeah. It was beautiful. You know so yeah. here's a, here's a question. Um, because now we're, we're discussing their, their twin daughters that, uh, that are born in issue three as, as a dad, how did that, how did that arc of Clark's life affect you? We're asking for our future selves. <laughs> Prepare us Ask, for what's happening. asking for a friend. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all of it, you know, just hit me so much. Like, it's a very emotionally affecting comic. Uh, yep. Yeah. Obviously. And, but again, it's not just that Clark is going through these things. It's that Busiek layers it in with the powers and the superhero trappings being part of the metaphor. So, you know, here is a superhero who has, you know, great power and great responsibility and he knows that that's going to take him away from the birth of his daughters because that's sometimes what you have to do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's part of his responsibility. It's part of how he's going to take care of his family. You know, ironically, it's going to keep him away from being there in an important moment. And that's so, you know, something that parents in, encounter, you know. You have all the power because you're out there, you know, living, in, you know, life and earning money and making it possible for your, your family to you know, survive, but sometimes that's going to take you away from them in ways that you would much rather be there. And, you know, it, it's, it's never, you know, underlined with a huge red marker or anything like that, but it's just, you know, it's there yeah. and it, it's incredibly affecting. Uh, I will say, I, I don't think I got to enjoy this issue three as much as I would on rereading because I just read, um, the four-part Spider-Man crossover Revelations from 1996, <laughs> I think, uh, which is where you know Mary Jane goes into labor, and while Spider-Man is away, like the exact same story, like he is distracted and can't get to the hospital, and Norman Osborn has their baby kidnapped. Oh, you mean their MacGuffin? Yeah, yeah. Mary Jane gives birth to uh, a shadowy MacGuffin. Yeah, uh, and so they lose the baby. Um, and it's revealed that, like, I mean, like, she gave birth to a baby, and Norman Osborn has it, and they just, like, let that go, and someone in, like, five years is gonna reveal that he's alive, but whatever. Um, but so, like, this entire time, because the, the birth scene is cut in between, like, Superman's first mission, like, shadow mission for the government. Yeah. And yeah. So I was like waiting, like they're distracting him. They're going to take that baby. They know, who, like I. Oh, I was waiting for. I, was, I thought it was a distraction I mission. Was so stressed, and I could not enjoy it because I was already yeah. on issue three. I was super attached. Um, 
And I did not want anything bad to happen to these characters. <laughs> no, me neither. As I was reading it, I, I was just, I was dreading turning the page during that mission. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I was, I, I would I would flip and I'd go, oh no, here it is. Here it is. Uh, and, and thankfully it didn't come. Yeah. Which again, that's, you know, Busiek, uh being a master storyteller, also A, I think understanding what a comic book reader would expect in a situation like that. Yeah. But B, also... <laughs> understanding that this is a real-world situation and that type of thing. Like, he just went to that well the issue before, right? Like, they kidnap they kidnap Clark. <clears throat> yeah. You know, and they try to experiment on him, and then it didn't work, you know? And then we see again that it didn't work when he reeled them in. Yeah. Right? So why would they try? Why would they try again? Yeah. And see, you know, going back to the, the metaphorical level, and this is a little preview for you guys, Parenthood is constantly terrifying. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. So that's what it feels like. Like having children, you just feel vulnerable all the time, and that's part of the tension that you're feeling in that scene as well. I think. Oh wow! So this is my first feeling of fatherhood is reading yeah. Superman: Secret Identity Number Three. Congratulations, Mazel, Brett. Mazel tov, yeah. yeah. Yay! I gave birth to this iPad file. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, I mean to. Bring listeners who are totally cool with spoilers up to the plot speed. Issue two, um, basically Clark goes to save a um, like a downed catamaran. What's a catamaran? Is it oh, a, a catamaran? catamaran? Yes, is it's a like type a little of boat. tiny boat. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I just jumped off the ledge with catamaran, um, and it turns out like the government is waiting for him. It's a trap. They kidnap him. Take him. It's to... a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Appropriate for Justin Ackland being yeah. on the show. Um, <laughs> Uh, and they take him to a government facility. Clark, of course, breaks out because he's Superman. Duh. Um, and there's... He sees the bodies of other victims that they have captured. I can't remember, were they other meteorite babies or just people that they were experimenting on? The, it, I, it's implied that they were other meteorite... Uh, which, by the way, at this point in the plot, we don't know what they mean by people <laughs> affected by the meteorites. Yeah, it's like a meteorite... Yeah. And ultimately, it doesn't matter too much, which is no. Great yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Clark doesn't know for a fact whether you know they kind of died and the government took their bodies, or whether they died in the care of the government. But he encounters all these bodies, and including the last panel of the page, some baby legs. Yeah, which that's what sets him off. I mean, yeah. that's what really sets him off, and he tear. You know, he spends the next three or four pages yeah. destroying yeah. the facility. Okay, yeah, I wanted to ask about that, Justin. Yeah. I mean, you've read this a bunch of times, I imagine. Yes. Um, how many people are in that facility? Because he beats the shit out of a bunch of them, and then he it explodes and is on fire, but he's only carrying two bodies out? I think he only beats the shit... I think there's only the two guys there. Like, it's it's overnight hours. Okay. And I think he just beats the shit out of them and then carries them outside. Yeah. Sounds like... Not- yeah. He's yeah, not the Punisher. S- you can see three guys... I'm looking now. Yeah, I'm flipping through. I'm trying to get a head count here. Yeah, I see. Th- yeah, you see him dropping off three three bodies. Okay, so he's not a murderer. He's not a murderer. No. <laughs> um, no. And I love too that the the decision to render all of the action in the uh, in the facility silent. Yeah. Like they like there's so much rage built up in him that sound can't. Uh, effect and not only that, 
there are no captions. There are no captions when he goes nuts because you realize that, like, this affected him so deeply that he didn't even want to keep a journal of what happened in that moment. Yeah. True. Yeah. Because why and would then you? that almost drives him away from Lois, who he had just recently, you know, started dating and becoming close to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and because... oh, guys, that moment when he tells her that there's that he's Superman, when he's like holding her, and then she unbuttons his shirt, and he just says like Lois, look down, and then you turn the page, and it's that double page spread, and it's just like there, just like floating above New York City. Yeah. And so romantic. <laughs> Ugh. And then he flies her all around New York. I also love that in this book, Metropolis is New York City. I love that. Yeah. It makes sense. Of course it is, yeah. Because there are no fictional cities in this in this book. It's real world. This really happened. It's yeah. real world. This guy's um, out there. Is he? Well, he, he lives in Manhattan. Yeah, you're, you're crazy. I don't know. This starts in 1990, and he's 15 then. So that was 20, uh, th- uh, 23 years ago. So he's in his, yeah, I mean, he's in his 30s now. He's in his late 30s, so he's probably splitting time between New York City and Maine. They're home in Maine. He might still be working for the New Yorker. He may be. Oh, do you think he's captioning? (laughs) He's captioning the cartoons. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I like it. I like it. We figured it out. You guys, we just figured this story out. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You should interview that guy. Yeah. (laughs) We should just ambush him outside of the New Yorker offices Every day, be like Clark, Clark. What's going on, man? My my, my name is not Clark. Yeah. Oh, come on. You can tell us. Oh, uh, we've read Secret Identity. I also um, also like every single issue start like the very first page of every issue is a like piece of Superman paraphernalia that then I mean kind of like how the like the covers of Watchmen are basically the first panels of that issue of Watchmen. Yes. These opening pages of the issue are like the things that he is being given mm-hmm. as like the constant like ever-present joke in his life that, you know, your name's Clark Kent. Yeah. Um, so issue four, the last issue, we get, like, old father time Superman as a as a Christmas ornament. Um, and it's like, oh, this is the last issue. He's getting old. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I th- the, the largest leap happens between issues three and four, where yeah. we, we jump ahead about 23 years, I think. Yeah. Because both of his daughters are adults. Yeah, and I I like I like that choice, too to uh, oh, yeah. to see him in the twilight to because knowing that he's in the twilight of his years, starting in issue four, you know that there's that there's a history there, but it's like you don't necessarily have to visit it, right? Like the yeah. the mileage the mileage is on the character from the first page. Yeah, I, I love that line that comes up a couple times in issue four where he says. I've been watching a lot of sunsets lately. Yeah. Uh, and then the first time he says it, it's, again, that gorgeous <laughs> two-page spread of him above the clouds just yeah. watching the sun go down. Um, and it, it's, oh, God, Eminence yeah. art here is just so beautiful. I do have a question about the, there's like, there's a, there's a thread that didn't tie up. Is he still wearing that same Superman costume that he got when he was a little kid? <laughs> or did I'm he gonna go- guess no. I'm gonna guess that he has multiple Superman costumes. Yeah. How can because... he afford it? Those those books aren't selling well, like according to Brett. Though. Yeah. I mean, I have this own narrative in my head of where he's just like a really dead he's just like self publishing on Amazon, 
No one's buying them because he's he wants people to pay forty bucks for his digital file book. No one's gonna pay that, Clark. Gah. He's he's very successful. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Shut your mouth about Clark Kent. He's won awards. Whatever. Wait, did he he did win awards, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. did. Uh, in the f- he gets invited to speak at conferences, so shut up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of his daughter's boyfriends at the beginning of the uh, of issue oh, four yeah. is obsessed with his research. Yeah. Yeah, um, he writes nonfiction books, like yeah. think pieces. <clears throat> think pieces. But while like uh, old old man Clark is now like out still doing his duty um, against you know tornadoes and whatnot, against one particular tornado, it gets felled by something mysterious. Yeah, and he hears uh, laughter, delighted laughter, um, two people laughing, and he, you know, that's when he thinks, oh, two no. female, two yeah. females laughing, <clears throat> and that's where the the great discussion between. I mean, the thing I love most about Friday Night Lights to dive into this is the relationship between Coach and Tammy Taylor. Yeah, like. That those are like the relationship characters for me. I mean, also Julia and Matt Saracen, but well, I mean, also, it, but like, yeah, they're the heart of the soul. Like, and this seems, Busiek nails this. Like, this seems like a Coach and Tammy talk. Yeah, I love it. Well, I think why those types of relationships work is those are you know you don't they're not necessarily they haven't necessarily figured out themselves, but they're not going through those throes of adolescence at the yeah. same time that they're oh, also trying to you know deal with each other and. That's that I think you strip that away and you get down to the core of who these people are to each other, yeah, and who they are in in that relationship. And these are two characters that have a, a, a really healthy relationship with one another. Yeah, um, probably like a lot of real people. Come on, media, like show us more healthy, happy relationships. No, unacceptable. Ugh. <laughs> uh, something else that I really love about issue four. Uh, and again, it's sort of the the real world idea that you know Clark is losing a step. He's yeah, getting yeah. old. His powers are dwindling. Yeah. And uh, but his daughters are fully powered. They are. It's like one's going down as the other one's coming up. Yeah, and but but again too, you know, the. Of course a superhero's power is probably going to dwindle over the yeah. course of their lifetime. Other Much the way, yeah, your mind goes, your body goes. Why wouldn't your superpowers? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Justin, I have another plot hole for you. I will plug it up. Go, go yeah. ahead. Who, come on, who designed the, the twins' uh, superhero costumes? I mean, come on. Where did they get that from? Yellow capes? What, what huh? They can't buy that off the rack. They, maybe they did it themselves. Oh. They, they, maybe they pulled a Spider-Man. Well, you know, they probably <laughs> have they probably have some type of design sense inherent in them because their mother is yeah. a very very successful interior designer. Yeah, they're both they're both creative people. Okay, okay, guys. Booyah. Okay, okay. I just got booyah, booyah Grandma. Break out the checkbook. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that was a uh, a mashing of an old SNL quote. Um, I do I do want I do like I did like that. Uh. We never got the, um, if there is a Superman, then an equivalent evil force must rise up against him story. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of like what all of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy was. Which was like all that basically happened because a Batman asserted himself and needed an opposite force, which is where Joker came from. Yeah. I'm glad that didn't happen. 
And even, I mean, probably the, the biggest character outside of his family who we haven't touched on yet is uh, Malloy, who's oh, yeah. his government contact. Yeah. And, you know, we meet him meet almost immediately after Clark gets kidnapped. Actually, no, it's the next issue. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's, it's in issue three when he, okay. when he baits... When he baits the government into attacking him at the Hoover Dam. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, he, and he does it because he wants to work out a deal with the government to kind of get them off his back because he's bringing children into the world, which is another kind of great, like, you know, you're growing old and you're softening and you're selling out to the man kind of thing. But, you know, even Malloy, who is representative of this kind of, you know, government who we've seen as evil in the past, like, they've got a pretty good relationship yeah. to the point where in issue four, when Malloy tells him that he's retiring, you know, it, it almost seems like they're going to hug and they don't, but oh, yeah. Malloy tells him that he knew that he's been, he, he's known for a while that he's Clark Kent. I yeah. love that. I love that scene. And he's like, maybe I should buy him a bottle of scotch. That's <laughs> what Clark says as he flies away. Yeah. <clears throat> Cause that was a really cool moment too. Either earlier in issue four and issue three, when super when Clark was just like, should I? Have, I should. I feel like I want to get him something, but I don't really know if I should. Yeah, there's He's a not defi- really my friend, but he kind of feels like it. Like there's a definite, definite uh, <clears throat> melancholiness to his relationship with Malloy, and I think that that button on their relationship with Malloy telling him that he always knew who he was. There's it. It brings out the sadness in in Clark as a character because I think there is a sadness in him because he he definitely seems afraid to let people in. Yeah. yeah. He's afraid to let people know who he is because uh he fears that that will that will hurt them. That's something that will only come back to harm them. And you realize then when Malloy says goodbye to him that you know you look back and Clark's even saying, like, they don't really bother me anymore. They don't, you know, I barely see yeah. him. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of lost time, I think, that Clark realizes that it could have, that relationship could have been a little easier if he would have opened himself and, up a little more. And not only that, I mean, it's implied that, you know, his parents passed away without him ever telling them the truth about himself. Yeah, and that's really sad. <clears throat> but that, I think, kind of uh, motivates him to want to reach out to his daughters even though he does it in a sort of hands-off kind of way and lets them come to him yeah you know he doesn't want them to have to go through life with that same secrecy and they you could have an entire other series about them because they had such a different experience you know their powers came at a time when you know they were a little bit older and they had each other they had confidants that you know clark never had so they had such a different experience than he did and they do seem a lot more social like you know this, uh, their solo this year, Carol's Between Boyfriends, Mike's Stuck in Boston, like, they seem to have a very active social life just yeah. through these very fleeting entries in Clark's journal that he's writing. Um, so you can tell they have a full, different life that we're not seeing because they did make a miniseries starring them. Yeah. Which they should. <laughs> uh, and eventually, and what really, what I, what I really loved about this, there's there's a slight you know, there's a slight scope widening by the end of the story. In the last few pages, we we jump ahead in Clark's life. It looks probably like another ten years ahead in his life, right? Oh yeah, ten yeah. Uh he has he has a gray beard and gray short cropped gray hair now. Um and at this point <clears throat> superheroes are a thing. 
the government has figured out how to manipulate genes and slowly, slowly there is a superpowered population expanding across the country. Yeah. And what you sort of realize is Busiek has been writing this sort of meta story about Superman as the first <clears throat> superhero in comics themselves, right? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. that's sort of how it happened, you know, in Superman the 30s. Confirms. Like, Superman shows up, uh, popular culture falls in love with him, and all of a sudden, every comic line has to have superheroes in oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, you, ne- you never see any of these other superheroes other than, you know, in one brief picture in one panel. Like, there's so yeah. much restraint in this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you, and you don't need to. You realize that you don't need to. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to point out that on that page, toward, sort, toward, sort of towards the end, when old Clark is flying with his daughters and, I guess, his grandson, uh, Perry, um, old Clark looks like Bill Murray. Oh, he totally he, does. He, straight up, that one panel, he just looks like Life Aquatic Bill Murray. <laughs> he <me>. does. <laughs> um, um, and that was this was before Life Aquatic came out, too. Four, yeah. Yeah. yeah, probably like right. Yeah, because uh, Life Aquatic was later this year. That year. Yeah. Um, and then we get the last couple pages. Um, on that next page, uh, Eminem then like redraws all of Superman's life, matching styles of like artists that had come before. Like you get like 1930s Superman, 19 like 50s Superman. Then you get like kind of like a John Byrne, then like a um, Bruce Tim, like a yeah. Darwin Cook looking one. Yeah. Yeah, you just, um, you sort of begin to see the world through his eyes. Yeah. Like, the way the way that he saw himself as sort of this fictional character in the real world. Justin, if you want to uh, write a miniseries starring, inspired by the panel of Bill Murray, Clark Kent, flying with his two young teenage daughters, or like I said, like in their 20s, that is an awesome panel. Like that, yeah. Can you imagine that series? It'd be great. Do you mean with Bill Murray himself? <clears throat> with like a Bill Murray style <laughs> Clark Kent and then his two uh, twin superpowered daughters. It's a great series. Yeah. I would write that. I, would I loved that. I loved the um and again too, accepting that this is a real world story, you know, at the end <clears throat> Clark is wearing an insulated Superman suit. Yeah. Because he gets cold in the atmosphere now. And and the suit's awesome. I love I love that insulated suit a yeah. lot. Even the gloves. Yeah, it's really cool. Still still has the shorts, DC. <laughs> They're not underwear. They are shorts. Yeah, jeez. Um, so, yeah. so, Brett, coming at this as a, as a non-Superman fan and obviously really liking it, like, what do you think was present here that's not in most Superman stories that you responded to? Good question. To? <clears throat> uh, well, I think that... It didn't so much focus on... It was character-based. Um, which I think a lot of the time, I find a lot of Superman stories seem to be kind of dry. Like, he's Ultimate Boy Scout. Uh, and his powers are so powerful. Like, the main crux of this series, the main conflicts were not, you know, who he is fighting. Um, so you didn't have to... Uh, you didn't have to, like, latch on. Like, is he going to be able to beat this foe? It was more internal stuff which i always gravitate towards like character stuff and i love i love i love that it's a beginning middle and end i love that it's like a standalone i think the concept is great and that really goes a long way towards selling you know this series as being awesome um i don't know i mean i guess that's my answer sort of 
It wasn't just like a like a stereotypical like Superman fights this brainiac character who's gonna win. I don't know. That stuff doesn't interest me as much as like this did. I yeah. love the character stuff. Well, what? Yeah. What is? What do you feel would make a better Superman story set within the DC universe? Oh, I've read. Oh, I mean, I'm reading Birthright right now, and that's great. This it's a weird. Uh, I don't know. I'm re- Birthright. Birthright was good. Man of Steel was good. All Star Superman is good. So those three are good ones. Uh huh. But I also find that all of the great Superman stories are basically like just retelling of his origin in a finite space of like amount of time. Like you ask me, what are the best Superman stories? They're gonna tell you a limited series. Yeah. They're not he- gonna tell you issues 375 to 380 of Adventures of Superman or something. Which is an like, interesting uh, thing. Like, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Which has a, a similar feel to some of this. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, that, that's that's such a... I love that story. That's a great story, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think... I, I think you hit on something, Brad. I think Superman works in these finite things because it feels like there's stakes. Yeah. You know, if... It's if Superman is always going to persist, and Lois is always going to persist, and Jimmy is always going to persist, then there really aren't stakes because Superman is so powerful. And what makes him interesting and what makes him vulnerable is his humanity and his the fact that he cares about people. And unless you're constantly going to the well of, you know, murdering the people he cares about, which <laughs> you know they do a lot, yeah, but is not interesting to me. Like this is more interesting where, you know, it feels like there's real stakes. Like he could really you know, lose the people he cares about or, or something can happen to them. Yeah, it, as, it, it, it doesn't, yeah. but it feels so heavy. <clears throat> as I was yeah. worried about the entire time. <laughs> awesome. I, uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I love seeing the style of Stuart Eminent art. So thank you so much for, uh, for picking this. Yeah. Thank you guys for chatting about it with me. I had a blast. Yeah. So do you revisit this story often? I do. I, this is probably the third or fourth time I've read it. I don't, like, you know, read it every year at Thanksgiving or anything like that. But Seems like a Christmas book. Yeah. But well, but, yeah. Every once in a while, I just feel like pulling it out and, and revisiting it. Yeah. I might I might reread it every Christmas just because in the fourth issue, it just seems so, like, family-oriented. There's, like, a Christmas tree. <laughs> I'm really stretching. I need... There are not that many... There are, there are not that many holiday comics of any sort, so... And I think what you will find, though, is this is the kind of book that not a lot of people have read and you want everybody to read. Oh, like you're yeah. you're going to start re- suggesting this to every single person <clears throat> you meet. Oh yeah. Ah, oh, man. Okay, well, thank you so much for being on the show again, part 2. I yeah, I appreciate it so much. Yeah, we loved having you on. Um do you have anything more that you would like to uh to plug? Sure. Uh you can still find me on Twitter at Justin Acklin, A C L I N. Uh my first Star Wars graphic novel is out in stores right now. That's uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars Defenders of the Lost Temple. Yes, I had to remember what it was called for a second. Uh, (laughs) And coming up next for me in May, I've got a three-issue limited series in Dark Horse called Akaniero Demon Hunters, which is a lot of fun. I forgot to mention last time that that's drawn by uh, Vasilis Lolos, who's a fantastic, incredible artist, and the art in that is going to be gorgeous. Cool. And then in June, I've got uh, another Star Wars OGN, which is uh, The Clone Wars, The Smuggler's Code. And uh, yeah, look for those. You're a busy man. Yeah. I try. Doing us proud. And where can we follow you online? Uh, At Justin Acklin on Twitter. My very 
rarely updated website is acklincorp.com. Uh, but Twitter is best. Yeah, it is the best. Twitter is best. <laughs> Conan, what is best in life? Twitter. Yes. <laughs> if you're interested in purchasing the new printing of Superman Secret Identity, uh, which actually comes out on the 9th, crazy timing this was. April the 9th. Or My brother's wanna, birthday. Yeah. Or if you want to purchase Star Wars The Clone Wars Defenders of the Lost Temple by our very own Justin Acklin, please visit mattandbrettlovecomics.com and buy them through the Amazon leaks links in this episode's show notes. Any purchase you make on Amazon through our online store kicks a little bit of money back to us, and we need money. We need money. You guys, you don't know. While you're at mattandbrettlovecomics.com, though, please check out the back issues, a.k.a. our past episodes, like uh, Upworthy's Rebecca Eisenberg hanging out with us talking about Sandman issue 14. The crazy serial killer convention issue. You remember that, Justin? That's a good one. It's a really good one, right? Uh, and also comedians uh, Jeremy Bent and Frank Hale talking about the first Lock and Key miniseries. Yeah. And about me. Yeah. And about Justin. <laughs> yeah, it was the uh, first time we, uh, that was the first appearance of you in Matt and Brett Love Comics yeah. continuity. That was exactly six months ago, too. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, we love hearing from you, from our listeners, so please tell us what you think about this or any past episode on our website. Or uh, our Facebook page, which is at facebook.com slash theylovecomics. Yes, and we want to thank all of the listeners that had suggested this story. I, uh, I, God, I wish I would have written them down, and I didn't, and I feel like a heel. You know who you are, baby. Uh, yeah, we love you guys, and thank you so much for pressing us on this, and uh, this, this story was great. I, I loved it to death. And you can uh, find links to our social media and tell us about that under Who Loves Comics on our website. And please, if you fancy what you've heard here today... You fancy lad. Uh, please rate and review the show in iTunes. It helps us out a lot. Thanks to our producer, Ben Regeeb. And until next time, thank you, Justin. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. We had a great time, man. Absolutely. Hooray. We should do it again sometime. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. As always, this is Brett. And this is Matt. And we love Kermit. We'll see you next time on Mary and Brett of Kermit. We talk about character. I don't like-